Welcome, adventurers. The tales we tell are most often of heroes and villains, those with extraordinary powers and interesting lives. But what of the rest of the people, the ordinary people without magic or weapons? Do their actions affect the course of the world? Joel Rigetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents... Tales from the Dungeon The cot gave a protesting creak as Hesed sat up. She pulled the heavy wool blanket around her shoulders as her feet touched the frigid wood floor, her cheeks flushing in the early morning cold. It was still more than an hour before Sol's first light would touch the land. In the dark and chill, she felt her eyelids dip, sleep caressing her, pulling her back into its pleasant warmth. Her head jerked as she felt her chin touch her chest. Not today, Hesed. There is work to be done. She chided herself. If she did not get moving soon, father would be rapping on the door. She turned to the small table by her bed, forcing her frozen fingers to work, lighting the lantern there. The lantern seemed almost as reluctant to wake, at first sputtering and flickering, but it took, and a pale yellow light painted the small room. She turned and made her way to the chest at the foot of her bed. Pushing the lid open, she pulled forth clothes for the day, dressing in a rush. Hesed cast one more wistful look at her bed before opening the door and making her way down the stairs. To no surprise, a small fire already burned in the fireplace below. Zelig, her father, was already awake. In all her years, she could only remember twice in which she rose before her father. As a child, it was not so hard to conceive, but her twentieth birthday was in less than a month, and as she grew older, she was not sure how he did it. Hesed was not entirely convinced he did not sleep outside her door. Waking when he heard her first stir, he laughed when she suggested as much to him one day. But he did not deny it. She pushed the door next to the fireplace open, stepping just inside. Zelig was there, as he always was, sitting next to the pot-bellied stove, drinking from a large mug and reading from a book. Knowledge as a Path to Understanding and Enlightenment, the book was titled. She smiled. Her father was probably the smartest person in Perkshire. That was not bragging, not vain pride, something he had always warned her against. By title, he was nothing more than a store owner. But if he was not working or spending time with herself or friends, he was reading. He read before she woke read after dinner, read at the store counter if there was nothing else to be done. He was lovingly referred to by the townsfolk as the Scholar of Perkshire, or just Scholar for short. Together they owned the second largest general store in Perkshire, but her father could have just as easily taught at one of the schools in Borgen, or even the universities of Jomato. But somehow he was content. Whenever she asked him why he did not leave to pursue grander things in larger cities, he would always place a hand on her cheek and respond, 
All he needed or ever wanted was here. Hesed was raised in and around the store, playing beneath the counter with wood toys as a toddler, fetching small items and running messages as a child. In her teenage years, she learned to work the counter, manage inventory, and make deliveries around the town. On her sixteenth birthday, Zelig had presented her with a small envelope. Opening it, she had found an official document, written in Zelig's own even hand. It was signed and sealed by both her father and the town assessor. It was a deed declaring her an equal owner in Moss Trading Co. She stared unbelieving from the document to her father. It is yours if you wish, he said. You have worked as much as I, worked your whole life to make Moss Trading Co. what it is. The people of Perkshire know and love you nearly as much as myself. I will not hold you here. I wish for you to have whatever you want in life. If it is not here in Perkshire, that is all right. But if you want to stay, the store is not mine. It is ours. She had looked at the letter one more time, a tear pattering down onto its face. And then, looking up, she lunged at her father, wrapping her arms around him. Through his thick beard, she could feel his tears dripping as well on her neck. Pulling back, she had placed her hand on her father's cheek. Why would I ever leave? All I ever needed or wanted is here. Hesed truly did love Perkshire. She loved the community. She took great pride in her work, loved that so many trusted her father and her to help them with their businesses, with their needs. And on the rare occasion she did yearn for something different, there were always her father's books. As a child, he had read to her tales of wondrous adventures. As she grew, he taught her of all the different peoples, places, and creatures of the world. As a young woman, they read together, discussing right and wrong, virtue and responsibility. Zelig looked up from his book, smiling. Good morning, Hess. He placed his mug on the floor, put a marker in the book before standing and setting it upon the chair. After looking to a pot on the stove, he crossed the room and gave her a hug. The porridge will be a few minutes still. Why don't you go give Thivius and squat their breakfast? Hesed squeezed her father and then let go. Truly, Papa? Hands going to her hips in mock disapproval. The horses are to be fed before your own daughter? He put on a severe face. Not all is fair and balanced in this world. But it is our responsibility to take care of those less fortunate than us. Hesed let out a psh sound as she turned to the door. Less fortunate. If Squat gets much fatter, we are going to need to build a bigger barn. She heard her father's laugh as she pushed her way back through the door and made her way through the storeroom and out back to the barn. Livius and Squat, their two draft horses, whinnied and nickered as she entered the barn. From there, the morning progressed as normal. Hesed and her father ate breakfast and went over the day's business. Hesed then looked over the deliveries, noting the few changes her father had requested. Next, she brushed and watered Thivius and Squat before harnessing them to the cart. The cart was loaded. 
One last check, and Hesed bid her father a good day, and stepped up into the cart's bench, urging the horses to walk on. Soul's first light illuminated the chill mist as she pulled out from behind Moss Trading Co. Her first stop was the Ten Grinnells Bakery. Even though she had finished her breakfast not a half-bell past, her stomach growled. The smell of fresh-baked bread permeated the air. She unloaded ten sacks of flour, two of salt, and one of sugar. She was gifted three fresh-baked loaves of bread for her father and her, and a sticky bun for herself. The cart was barely rolling again before Hesed had wolfed down the sticky bun. She made several small personal deliveries before bringing four large bolts of cloth, which had just arrived from Feld's Crossing by way of Cumbershall to Mr. Valen's tailor shop. The cloth was vibrant colors. One, a rare printed green silk. Mr. Vellen was as bright as soul as she made the delivery, pleased beyond all expectation with the quality of the cloth. He even draped a swath of the silk over one of her shoulders and commented how she must have a dress made of this fine material. She had blushed just a bit before waving him off. What need did she have for such a dress? Four more small deliveries were made before she turned the cart toward the lumber mill, just south of town. As the cart clattered out of town, a group on horseback, five she counted, came up the road toward her. It was a bell or so past the dividing bell, and Sol was well up. It made the fact that all five of the riders still had on their dark cloaks, hoods drawn, unsettling. As they approached, one veered in front of her, causing her to halt the wagon. The rider pulled down her hood. Luminous brown hair was tied into a ponytail, piercing blue eyes considering her. The woman was quite beautiful. Beautiful and quite vexed. The woman's thin lipped sneer broke as she spoke. Are you from this town, girl? The tone was no friendlier than her expression. Though Hesed did not appreciate the tone, she replied kindly, I am. Is there something I might help you with? Have you seen or heard of any strange or suspicious peoples passing through town lately? Vagabonds or thieves? They would be trying to avoid notice, the woman inquired. You are the strangest and most suspicious people I have seen in Perkshire in well over two years, is what Hesed wanted to say but instead she responded with a concerned frown. I have not heard of any such. What has this person done? The woman ignored the question, instead asking another of her own. What's in the cart? Hesed didn't like the question. It was rude and none of their business. But the other four cloaked riders had spread out, blocking the road completely. Hesed was afraid. Supplies for the mill, she said in a flat tone. All pretense of kindness dropped. The brown-haired woman glared for a few beats and then drew her horse directly aside the wagon. The woman made a quick visual inspection of the wagon's contents, reached an arm out to shove the barrel of nails. It shifted awkwardly and then fell over, spilling into the bed. Hesed's face flushed with a frightened anger. The woman pursed her lips and then looked to her companions. 
With a small twitch of her head, she turned and rode on toward the town. The four remaining strangers rode past. Hesed felt their disdainful glares on her. She kept her face straight ahead. She was shaking. Vivius and Squat stepped nervously, sensing her fear. Five bars after they had passed, she sat there still, her cheeks stained with silent tears. Finally, she made herself get the horses going again. And when she did, she reined them into a trot that was faster than she should have with a loaded wagon. A half a bell later, she was at the lumber mill. Tenzin Grace and Willabin Dunn came out to meet her. Both mill workers were good friends. In other circumstances, a chance to chat with Willabin during work hours would be a highlight of her day. But seeing her face, they rushed to her side as she climbed down from the cart. She wished she hadn't, but she burst into tears. They both gathered her in and held her until she quieted. When the tears had subsided, she recounted the story, and she was pleased by Willabin's clenched jaw when she was done. The three unloaded the cart, recovering the spilled nails. When they were done, they went to Astermott, head of the mill, and Hesed told her story again. Aster nodded along, her face scrunched into concern. When the tale was told, Aster sat back and thought. Rude to be sure, she said inconsiderate and uncalled for. Esther said she would have words with the constable. She went on to say that they did live in the Gimlin woods. Odd folk passed through from time to time. Disreputable folk that best be left alone. Hesed's best bet was to avoid any further contact with these people if possible. Keep your head down and they will pass on. I'm sending Tenzin home with you, just in case. Willibin insisted he should go as well. Hesed blushed. Aster said one employee going home early was enough, and that logs weren't going to cut themselves. Willibin walked them out to the cart all the same, and hugged her again before they left, saying he would check on her after his shift. She made her thanks and pointed the cart homeward. As the cart rattled out of the mill yard, Tenzin poked her ribs, and insisted in an exaggerated imitation of Willibin that she must accompany Hesed home. Hesed slapped at her hands, and then they both broke into laughter, the severity of the afternoon's odd occurrence lifting. There was still life, and no harm had been done. That rude woman and her cloaked cronies would be gone soon. Besides, Willibin was coming to check on her tonight, and that would be just fine. On the way back to town, Hesed remembered the loaves of bread she had been given this morning, and told Tenzin they had one more delivery to make. They turned and skirted town, arriving a quarter bell later at the Nielsen farm. All in town knew the Nielsens had had a bad streak of luck. They lost a cow unexpectedly. Their crop of potatoes had contracted an odd blight and were all but ruined and most recently Mrs. Nielsen had taken to bed sick, unable to help with the farm. As they rode past a large barn, Mr. Nielsen himself greeted them. Hesed said she didn't wish to take much of his time, as she knew he was busy, and then she presented him with the three loaves of bread. It's not much, I know, but I hope it helps. And you will let father or me know if there is anything else we can help with. 
Mr. Nielsen was very grateful. And with a flush and a glance cast toward Vivius and Squat, he inquired, I don't suppose you have time to help me pull a stump? It was right in the middle of a new patch he was trying to plow and plant. Without hesitation, Hesed agreed. The horses were unhitched from the cart and brought to the stump. Chains were attached, and with some effort, the stubborn stump was pulled free. Squat was fat, but Hesed was fairly sure if you tethered him to the foot of the Bristleback Mountains, he could move them a bit, given time. So it was, by the time Hesed dropped Tenzin off and returned home, Sol was already set, the last light fading from the sky. Her father's worried voice called out from the storeroom as she rolled the cart behind the store. Hesed, everything all right? I am fine, Papa, she called back. Me, Tenzin, and the boys helped Mr. Nielsen out a bit, and I had an odd encounter today. Backlit by the fire and lantern light, Hesed could feel more than see her father's frown. Well, that all sounds interesting. Once you have seen to the horses, please do come in. I want to hear all about it over dinner. Once again, the horses are fed before me, Hesed muttered to herself. The empty cart was parked in its place. Thivius and Squat were unhitched and put in their stalls, brushed, watered, and fed. As Hesed went to hang the tack and harness and retrieve the lantern, something caught her eye. In the empty stall across from Thivius, covered in shadow, was something that had not been there when she left. She glanced in, standing at the door. Even at this close distance, it was an indistinguishable lump. Did Papa throw a sack of something in here? Have you seen or heard of any strange or suspicious peoples passing through town lately? Vagabonds or thieves? They would be trying to avoid notice. A shiver ran down Hesed's spine as the voice came back to her. She retrieved the lantern and a pitchfork. She set the lantern at the mouth of the stall and stepped in. The object was a rough brown blanket, but there was most definitely something underneath. Hesed leveled the pitchfork and spoke. If someone is there, come out. I have no wish to hurt you. At first there was nothing. Hesed stepped a bit closer and was just about to poke at the blanket when it moved. She squealed and jumped back involuntarily before leveling the pitchfork again. I don't want to, but I'll skewer you if I must. The blanket moved again, and then was slowly pushed aside. Beneath was a gnome. The gnome had a disheveled long blonde beard streaked with white. Below his bloodshot eyes, the gnome bared his teeth and held both of his hands above his head in surrender. Hesed has discovered someone who appears very familiar. But what is he doing in her barn? Stay tuned next week for part two of The Influence of Virtue.